we want to jump right into our sermon this morning. We want to jump into Luke chapter number five. Uh, Dukes gave uh, the announcements, but want to just highlight one thing. We will not have Bible study this week. People have asked, why do y'all end Bible study so quickly? Well, we have so many kids, and we rely on the students to watch the kids, and the students are gone. So that, that means no Bible study until January. So we'll catch y'all on the other side. Luke chapter number five, verse number one declares, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out, out of them and were washing their nets, getting into their boats, uh, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. It's powerful. At your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come up and help them. And they came and filled both boats uh, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the great catch of fish that they had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left, not, they left everything and followed him. Uh, just for a few moments, I want to preach from the subject title, From Now On. From Now On. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessing that you give us to be able to be in your house and to be able to be under the authority of your word. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would empower me, that you would fill me, that you would speak to me, but also speak through me. God, that we will catch a vision of what you are calling us to do from now on. Not just on a Sunday, but from now on. Not just while I'm in college, but from now on. Not just when I feel like it, but from now on. God, help us to catch a vision, God, for how you are calling us to invest our lives. Bless us and speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, rather than ending with a question this morning, I want to begin with a question. When you personally hear the word holiness, what comes to mind? When you specifically hear the word holiness, what comes to mind? For many of us, we begin to think about a particular set of practices. Uh, we think about practices that are performed in roles. We think about uh, practices that take place in a temple. We think about practices that are separate from the world. And while some of us think of a particular practice when we hear the word holiness, others think of a particular posture. We think of the posture of kneeling. We think of the posture of bowing. We think of the posture of laying prostrate, laying uh, bare before the Lord. Regardless of the practices or the posture, 
when we think about the word holiness, when we think about the idea of holiness, we understand that holiness requires someone to be separate from the world. Holiness means that a person is unclean. They are unblemished. They are morally right. They are, they are willing to reject anything that is unpleasing to the Lord. For the most part, when we think about the idea of holiness, we must understand that holiness is found in not simply abstaining for something or rejecting something or being obedient in something. I want to offer a, a different perspective or a different idea of what holiness is in our lives. I want to submit to you something very different this morning. I want to submit to you a different option. I want you to consider that when you hear the word holiness, holiness is not simply found in a particular set of religious practices. Holiness is not found in a particular set of religious postures. But what if holiness is only found in a particular person? What if holiness is only found in a righteous person? What if holiness could be found in a person, catch this, that is transcendent but also transformative? What if holiness could be revealed in God sending a person and in sending a person, he sent a son to connect with the world so that in connecting with the world, that same person might be able to catch this, transform the world. The person that we're talking about, the person that we see, the person that we celebrate, the person that embodies holiness is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I love studying the book of, I've, I've loved studying the, the gospel of Luke because it is giving us a fresh opportunity to see a beautiful picture of the majesty and the beauty of Jesus. Over the last few sermons, we have spent a lot of time shining our sermonic spotlight on the life of Christ. And in shining the spotlight on Christ, we've seen more than we've expected to see. We've seen the reality of Jesus' identity. We've seen the reality of Jesus' ministry. We've seen the reality of Jesus' authority. But now we see the reality of his sanctity. We see the holiness of Christ. We see the righteousness of Christ. When we are first introduced to Jesus, we saw the baby in the manger. But as he grows, as the text continues, we begin to see the Lord over our lives. We see the one who protects us from sin or protects us from the pain of sin. But catch this, but we also see the one who gives us purpose in life. Does Jesus take away our sins? Absolutely, he does. But more importantly, I believe Jesus gives us purpose in the life that we live. Some of us are wondering and wrestling with the question, why do we live? Uh, what purpose do I pursue? What power do I possess? And I love the passage because in studying the passage, if we study it carefully, I believe that these questions will be answered. I believe if you look at the first 11 verses of, of, of Luke chapter number 5, you will see why you are called to exist. You will see what God has called you to do. You will see what the Lord has specifically called you to pursue. To go back with me to verse number one, and we want to first consider the context of the text. Verse one says, on the occasion, while the crowds was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Uh, by reading the first 11 verses, we know that Simon Peter 
His brother Andrew and their partners, James and John, had spent the night fishing, dragging their nets. Uh, we need to understand that in the culture, uh, to fish meant that you were willing to commit to back-breaking work. Uh, the fishermen were not just uh, these guys who were going this exclusive tour where they would catch uh, a big game fish and they would take a picture. Like to fish in the context meant that you were willing to grind all night. You would have to row out. You would have to lay uh, the, the nets out. You would have to understand that the nets would encompass, encompass over 100 feet. Uh, you would have to pull it in and out with your hands. And this procedure will be done over and over and over and over again. And it took men who were strong to perform the tax. It took men who were willing to have sweat uh, dropping from their brow to, to perform the tax. It took men who were willing to work through the night to perform the task. And on this particular occasion, they caught absolutely nothing. And they get to the side of the, of the lake. They are cleaning their nets. They are, uh, they are putting things back in order. They are hearing uh, everything uh, that Jesus is saying. And Jesus calls them, catch this, to a greater level of commitment. Uh, on this day, this day is different. They had done this many times before, but instead of getting to the lake and seeing no one there, there's this huge crowd hearing and listening to the word of God. Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom, and in preaching, the crowd began to grow and grow and grow, so much so to the point that Jesus didn't have any place to stand on the side of the lake, so he stands on the boat and continues to preach and teach. It's important for us to see the context of the text because it shows us that the teaching of Jesus was not simply limited to the worship service. The teaching of Jesus, what Jesus had to say, extended to where Simon Peter actually worked. For Simon Peter, the profession of his faith impacted his profession. The profession of his faith. What he believed, who he trusted, who he was willing to rely on also impacted how he worked every day. It impacted his job. It impacted how he lived. It impacted his livelihood. My brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this morning that our faith will impact every single area of our life. We need to be reminded that the Christian life is not to be compartmentalized. I remember uh, growing up, um, eating that school lunch with that with that little plate with the different dividers. You remember that plate? Had the big little square in the middle where that, that nasty pizza would fit. <laughs> Some of y'all like that pizza. I didn't like it. I'm a little bougie, right? Had the little circle where they would, you know, put, the, put you some, some, uh, some mixed fruit in there, right? Had the little square area where you could either put the milk or the juice box in there. And the whole purpose of the plate was to make sure that things were separate, to make sure that things were not spilling over. And it is unfortunate that many of us have, have bought the lie that our spiritual lives or our lives uh, in totality can be separated in different sections. I've got my life of faith here, and I've got my work life over here. I've got my dating life over here, and I've got my sex life over here. I've got my finances over here, and I've got my TV shows over here. I've got my daily devotion over here, and I've got what I want to do over here. I want to encourage us and challenge us this morning. For you to live the life that God has called you to means that the best life or God's life, God's abundant life cannot be lived, separated, and disconnected. My brothers and my sisters, we must understand that the Christian life cannot be separated, and it cannot be segregated. The life 
that Christ has called us to will never be lived in its fullness when you try to limit and you try to segregate what God is speaking to you in your life. The life that God has called us to, catch this, becomes more full, more rich, more fulfilling when we allow things to connect together. When we hear God's word, and God gives us a specific word, and we apply that word not just to my life on Sunday, but I apply that word to every area of my life. I love the passage because it reminds us that Jesus does not simply come to be our Savior, but Jesus also comes as our Lord. That Christ comes and Christ desires to be Lord over every area of my life. We try to live with this idea that Life can be segmented, that life, uh, the life of faith is exclusive to Sunday, that we can operate as if uh, I could be one way at church and another way at home, one way when I'm operating in a ministry capacity and another way when I'm not here. But here's the truth. Christ has come, and when Christ comes, he wants to transform every aspect of your life. Jesus wants to literally invade and investigate and transform every aspect of your life. Um, I remember growing up, we would uh, watch the show, uh, 227. Uh, there was one particular character on the show, Miss Pearl. She would always be outside the window. Uh, she would be the nosy neighbor, always questioning what was going on, right? And on some level, we can think about God that way. Like, he's just that nosy neighbor who's always in our business, always seeing what's going on, always wants to check on us, right? Uh, others of us, we see God as an as a overbearing house guest, uh, someone who uh, just comes in and makes himself at home, someone who goes to the refrigerator, drinks out of the, uh, the carton of milk, uh, just kicks his feet up. We just feel like Jesus is inconveniencing us. And I want to tell you very clearly this morning, Jesus is not a nosy neighbor. Jesus is not an overbearing house guest. Jesus is the owner of the home. Jesus desires to transform the home. I remember when we, uh, when we purchased this church, uh, if y'all didn't see it, this church looks totally different uh, than when we first got here. There were some, some huge uh, some bell towers who were, that were here. And I remember the week after we knocked down the bell tower, uh, I got several emails. Y'all know I love emails. <laughs> got several emails about the bell tower. People upset, up angry. Why would y'all do that? That was a staple in the community. Like those, those bell towers meant a lot to this area. They just went on and on and on. Now, I didn't say it this way, but here's what I want to say, right? We own the building. <laughs> like, we didn't come here to, 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 to purchase something and still have it based upon what you wanted. We made a decision to, to purchase it, and in purchasing it, we made a decision to, to reorganize and to transform the building so it could fit our needs. I want you to take that picture and apply it to your life with Christ. That Jesus is not in your life to give you suggestions. That Jesus is not present in your life to give you uh, your best life now. Jesus is in your life to transform every aspect of your life. Jesus has a plan for your life to totally rebuild it from the ground up which means that Jesus wants to invade every area of your life, your job, your free time, your money, your conversation, your internet browsing history. Jesus wants to be in every area of your life. So when you see the word given, 
Jesus meets them where they are on the side of the, of the, of the sea, but also in the midst of the deep waters because Jesus has a word for every aspect of our life. So first we see the context, but secondly, we see a command in the text. Verse 4 says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let, your, let down your nets. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Uh, we don't need to over-spiritualize the text because we need to really appreciate that there is a demanding request in the text. Jesus was asking a man, catch this, who had worked all night. Jesus is asking a man who had had no success to go back. They had already washed the nets. They had already taken the nets up. They were done for the day. And Jesus says, I want you to go back. I want you to think about it for a second. We know Jesus as this, this loving Savior and Lord at this time. They really didn't know him as that. They knew him as still as Joseph's son, the carpenter. Like, what would the carpenter have to say about fishing? For Simon Peter to have listened to this request meant that the people around him would have thought that he was crazy. I want you to catch this. If you don't catch anything else in the sermon, I want you to hear this very clearly. The area of his life where, we, where he would have known the most about is the area where he had to trust the most. Jesus challenges him in the area of strength. Jesus challenges him in the area where he would have had it all together. And Jesus says, I want you to trust me in this area. He says, I want you to surrender to me in this area. And he says, I want you to cast your nets out there into the deepest parts of the water. I think that's a good word for us because so many times, Rather than obeying God and rather than, than going to the deep parts of the water, we are, we are just simply afraid to row. We are simply afraid to, to do what God's called us to do. When, when I hear God's command, I can't speak for you, but when I hear God's command, oftentimes I want to give reasons why I should not obey. When God calls me to row out into the deep waters of life, instead of rowing, I want to tell him, Lord, I'm tired. Lord, I'm busy. Lord, I've been, I've been rowing for you. Lord, I'm, I'm weary. I'm hurt. Other times, Lord, I don't have the education. I don't have the experience. And I love the text because in the text, Peter was, was, more, was more knowledgeable of the subject matter. He had did the work. He had done not, not done anything wrong, but he got to the place in his life where he said, Lord, if you say it, then I'll do it. Lord, I'm tired. But if you say it, I'll do it. Lord, I've, I've been here many times before, but Lord, if you say it, I will do it. Lord, I may not have the education, but if you say it, I will do it. Lord, this may make me really uncomfortable, but Lord, if you say it, then I will do it. As we read the text, the question we must consider is, what are we doing with the words of command that Christ has brought into our life? Like when the Lord specifically tells us to do something, how are you and I responding in our lives? All of us, all of us would do well to pray and ask God for strength to respond the way that Peter responds. Because the same is true for us today. That, that what you are hearing in the worship setting must be applied when you leave the worship setting. 
what you are hearing in the context of the church must be lived out in the context of your life. I love the passage because sometimes we get to this place in our lives where we think that like the people in the text are in a different place than we are. The people in the text are in a different stage of life than we are. But catch this, we are in the same aspect and space of life as they are. All they had in their life to hold on to was Jesus' words. When you think about your life, what else do you have to hold on to? When the issue of forgiveness comes up, like what else do you have to hold on to other than Jesus' words? When, when we hear the issues of heaven and life and death, what else do you have to hold on other than Jesus' words? When we think about sin or marriage or parenting or work, what else do we have to hold on other than what Jesus has also already told us in his word? And just like Simon Peter, we've got to get to the place in our life where we have to take God at his word. For Simon Peter to obey Christ meant that he would have had to get the nets dirty again. And for him to obey the Lord, I want you to catch this. Everyone connected to him would have had to get involved with him. Here's the truth. I I love the text because the text challenges his personal obedience, but the text also challenges those who are connected to him. The command for Christ, for Peter, also impacted his brother, and it also impacted his working partners. It didn't just impact him, it impacted everyone who was connected to him. And that is a phenomenal word for us. When God gives us his word, when God gives us a command, that command will not just impact me, it will also impact everyone who's connected to me. How I respond to God's word impacts my wife. How I respond to God's word impacts my children. How I respond to God's word impacts my church. How I respond to God's word impacts my coworkers. How I respond to God's word impacts my community. How you are personally responding to God's word will impact everyone around you. And I love it that Simon doesn't say, you know what, I got to spend more time with my wife. It's a good thing. He doesn't say, you know what, Lord, what you said is good, but I got to take my kid to baseball practice. Lord, what you said is really good, but Lord, I got I to gotta study for this test. Lord, what you said is really good, but I got to do a little bit more work on my job. He says, no, at your word, I will let down the nets. What Jesus says is demanding, but what Jesus says is powerful and transformative because he gets into the place in his life where he's willing to trust simply uh, God and his word. Uh, that's the truth for us because... That's what God wants us to do today. When I don't, I want you to catch this, when I don't listen to God's word, and when I don't roll to the deep, and when I don't cast my net out there, there are usually two reasons that it happens. Number one, I don't know, I know what God has told me to do, but I'm hard-hearted and I don't want to listen. I'm prideful, and it keeps me from a position to be obedient. But secondly, in my life personally, when I don't roll out in the deep, and I don't cast my net out there, it's because I've gotten to a place in my life personally where I'm not confident concerning God's voice. I'm not to a place in my life where I know that the Lord has told me to do something. So I'm going back and forth between opinions because I have not been convinced that I've clearly heard from the voice of God. So first we see the command, or actually first we see the context of the text. Secondly, we see the command in the text. But thirdly, we see a confession in the text. Verse 6 says, and when they had done this, 
they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the boat to come and help. And they came and filled the boats, so they began to sink. Peter was totally caught off guard by what happens in verse 6 and 7. I want you to catch this. Peter had seen Jesus work, but Peter had only seen Jesus work in the lives of other people. He had seen in the previous chapter, Jesus worked in the life of his mother-in-law. At the end of chapter number four, he works in the life of many people. But here in chapter number five, Peter is about to make a powerful confession. But I want you to see this. The confession does not happen until after God works in his life personally. He had seen him work in the crowd. He had seen him work in his family. But the confession happened after he was personally obedient to God's word. Jesus did not tell John to row or Philip to row or Bartholomew to row. Jesus told Peter to row. And after Peter was willing to row, catch this, God revealed a a powerful truth in his life. I want to say a word here for all of us. It's really good to be close to people who are close to God. It's really good to be close to people who have obedience to the Lord. It's really good to be close and to witness God working in somebody else's life. I cannot tell you how many times I've been encouraged personally by how God is working in your life. I cannot tell you how I am so blessed to hear God answer prayers in your life. But I want to say this very clearly. God working in your life will never be a substitute for God working in my life. I need to see the Lord working in my life. I'm glad my spouse is close to God. I'm glad my my favorite preacher is close to God. I'm glad my closest friends are close to God. But I need to be close to God myself. And that happens after I'm obedient to what the Lord has told me to do. In the text, something is far, far greater than just catching fish is happening. I love the text because Jesus does a miracle in a man's heart. And Peter falls down before Jesus and he says, Lord, you need to get away from me because I am too sinful. Verse 8 says, but when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he says, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the great catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, catch this, do not be afraid, but from now on, you will be catching men. To be honest, as we read the text, it's hard to believe it because uh, Peter responds differently than how we usually respond. Like, when is the last time you've had the greatest success in your life professionally and you broke down and talked about how sinful you are? Like, when is the last time God showed up in your life? And worked a miracle in your life. And the first response that you gave is, Lord, I am too sinful. Please get away from me. Usually it's the opposite. It's I want to take a selfie. I want to brag. I want to post. I want people to celebrate me. But here in the text, Jesus does something in his life. And he sees Jesus more clearly. And in seeing Jesus more clearly, he sees himself more clearly. Uh, We missed something in verses number 5 and 8 because we don't have it in Greek. In 5 and 8, there's a switch of a word. 
He first calls him master in verse number five, but in verse number eight, he begins to call him the Lord. He obeys the master, but in verse number eight, he bows to the Lord. This is not a, this is not a story of conversion. This is a story of conviction. It's a story of conviction because he sees himself after he sees who God is. Like, that's why we preach the way we preach it. Like, that's why we open the scriptures and lift how the Lord, that's why the songs we sing and the, and the ministries we have focus on the Lord. Because catch this, the more we see God more clearly, the more we see ourselves more clearly. In the text, Jesus does something in his life, and then God shows him something about himself. In God's holiness, he calls sinners, but catch this, in his holiness, he also commissions sinners. There's a pardon for sin, but also there is purpose for the sinner. Jesus says, from now on, I don't want you to be fearful, and from now on, I want you to focus on being a fisher of men or women. From now on, I want your life to be about investing in people. From now on, here's your why. Your why is you are called to be a fisher of men or women. That's our why. That's what life is about. Life is about investing in other people. Life is about helping other people transform spiritually. Life is about you doing for others what you could not do for yourself. So what's my purpose? Here's my purpose very clearly. My purpose is to know God. My purpose is to intimately know God. My purpose is to draw close to God, to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And here's the power I possess. The power I possess is God can use me to help other people know him. Chris, could you come on back up? We're done this morning. When we consider what God is calling us to do from now on, I want to give us three very simple points of application. When you think about it, from now on, we must remember that this is a hard word that only strong men and women can do. If you parallel fishing to ministry, it's hard work. It's tough dealing with people. It's tough having to deal with sinful, selfish, and self-centered people. But the Lord calls us to do it because he strengthens us and empowers us to do it. For you to be a fisher of men or women, you got to get stronger, right? Like you've got to get stronger spiritually if you're going to have an impact on other people. So first, from now on, i got to remember that what God is calling me to is going to require some spiritual strength. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen through spiritual training, through me digging deep in God's Word, for me spending time at God's feet. And as I do that, God strengthens me and empowers me to have an impact on people. Secondly, from now on, we must remember that this word will impact every area of my life. You and I, not, not you and I, I would do very well to get to a place in my life to stop trying to separate and segment my life. Jesus has come to be the Lord of every area of my life. There is not an area of my life that Christ does not desire to impact. And the more I hold back, the more I try to segment it, the more I try to do different things, 
the more frustrated and unfulfilled I am. But when I'm willing to surrender it all to him, the more fulfilled I am. Lastly, from now on, we must remember that this word will empower me to impact other people. There's a promise and a challenge in the text. It says, from now on, we need to not be fearful. And from now on, we need to be focused on others. The question that you got to consider is, are you living in fear? Is Satan holding you hostage and keeping you from focusing on others because you're fearful? What will they think? What will they say? How will they respond? Are we living in faith and getting to a place where we're just saying, Lord, if you said it, I'm going to do it. If you tell me to row out to the deep, I'm going to do it. I don't understand it. I'm tired. I'm weary. I've done my best. I I don't want to do this. But God, if you said it, I'm going to trust you to do it.